The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Luke chapter 2. We're just going to jump right into it. We got work to do. Chapter 2 verse 21. We're going to look at 21 through 24 this morning and then we're going to continue on. But let's look there first. Notice this, it says, at the end of eight days, all right? So if you remember, last week, Mary gave birth to baby Jesus. We got the angels showing up on the scene. It's it's a pretty stunning moment. Eight days later, Jesus was circumcised. And, And they called him Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for purification according to the law of Moses, I want you to notice every time you hear law, law of Moses, law of Christ, law law of the Lord, every time in this passage that we're working through today, because I think it's a big emphasis of what Luke wants us to see. They brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Listen, this is a bunch of activity for a young girl who just gave birth. Right? Um, if, if any of the ladies here have had the privilege and the opportunity to do that, I think you agree. Right? Mary's been a busy girl. Right? Having children can do that to you. But specifically here, and, and even think about our culture just for a moment. Right? Our culture, uh, lots of times, you know, a, a moment where you should be able to just reflect and enjoy the peace before the storm of beauty arrives, right? You're just active with all the things. Think about what we do. We have to get the room ready. And it, it's not just any room, right? They used to just chuck babies in a, in a drawer before, right? They'd pull the drawer out. They'd throw some blankets in there, throw them in. Now you've got to have all the things. And all those things are expensive. So you've got to have a baby shower. And, and this isn't just like, hey, let's get some friends together and everybody gives some gifts. This is a big deal, at least the ones I've been to. Now they drag men into it, by the way. <laughs> How did that happen? It's awful. I'm just telling you, it's just awful. I've been to them. And and there was one where they did like axe throwing. Like, this is weird. Baby's being born, axe being thrown. Anyway, so that you can give the most adorable outfits and the most adorable gifts, right? There's a perfect photo shoot, right? Uh, You got to make meals for months for them because apparently they will starve. Uh, Scrapbook. That's a big thing, or at least it used to be for the first year. And then you quit because who can keep up? Um, Gender reveal parties, not so popular anymore, but they used to be. And they got real creative, by the way. I remember one time seeing one where they shot from like 500 yards, hit an empty tree filled with tannerite with the color of the powder that would represent the gender. The tree exploded and a big pink cloud came out. It's a girl. Right? It'd been funny if it, if it was not, right? It's like, oh, surprise, we missed something. Um, but, but here's the thing you can be very busy in our culture when, when you're expecting a baby, having a baby. And you can do these things or not do these things, and it's really no big deal. But that's not what we're talking about when we see what Mary and Joseph are doing. It's real important to understand that. That's, you know, just loose traditions. That's not what we're talking about here. In that time, Jewish people followed a number of customs that, that when a baby was born in order to be kosher with God, right? Um, and, and so God had prescribed many things to Israel to set them apart, 
to show that they were wildly different than all the other nations that worshipped all the other false gods. And so Israel, wanting to obey God in those moments, especially Mary and Joseph, they wanted to do these things that were right to honor God. That's why they do it. So after all the excitement of the birth, the parents journeyed to Jerusalem in order to fulfill their obligations. A couple of things we noticed, just real quick. By the way, I know that there's different levels of understanding when it comes to Bible. So if some of this is just like whew, flying over your head, hang in there. We'll come right back down and we'll start looking at some trees. But it's important that we understand these pieces. So if you're like, when I first started going to church, it felt like every Sunday they would just open up a, a fire hydrant and it would peel my face off and I maybe got two drips, right? And I'm still thirsty. I didn't understand it, right? If that's where you're at, it's okay. If you will stick around and if you'll continue to engage the Word of God and if you'll be around God's people and you will begin to put pieces together. It will begin to make sense to you. So just hang in there, right? Uh, but the, the first thing I want us to see is look at verse 21. Luke says that, that Jesus was circumcised. This was probably done in the home where that had happened, right? What was circumcision? Briefly, God told men among his people in the Old Testament to be circumcised physically to show something that they trusted God and that they belonged to him. If you ever want to look that up, you can see it in Genesis 17. But then also, according to Leviticus 12, the mother of the male baby had to go through a time of purification. Uh, lasted 40 days, okay? And, and so, in addition, then in Exodus 13, I throw a bunch of information at you. We're going to be done with that in just a moment. The Jewish parents then had to set apart their firstborn son to the Lord. And at the end of that period, she would then bring a burnt offering and a sin offering to the temple. Okay. Uh, ordinarily, a burnt offering would have been a lamb. And a sin offering would have been one you know, these pigeon or turtle dove. However, notice here, right, these folks were poor. They could not afford a lamb. And so what did they bring? Well, they brought, uh, I think it says here, right back up here, two young pigeons or, or turtle doves. We don't actually know, but they brought those two. Listen, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, I think once again, God could have chose rich people. He could have chose all sorts of affluent people, but God chose to allow Jesus to be born in this particular home. We studied Galatians last fall, and there's a text I want us to think about. We're going to look at it now, but then we're going to finish with it when we land the plane, let's say. And it's Galatians 4.4. And I'm only looking at part of it right now, but listen to what, what Paul says in Galatians 4.4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come. So there'd been a moment when God knew now now is the time I'm going to send my son to redeem this sinful people. It says God sent forth his son, right? So this is a planned thing. It's not like, oh, this, we got to respond to this. Born of a woman, born under the law. Boy, will that matter as we continue through the book of Luke, right? Baby Jesus is, is very kosher. Why does it matter? It's, he's satisfying all the requirements of the law. And you don't have to get all that right now. But as we go through Luke, I promise you will see that theme over and over. So that brings us to point one. One, Jesus perfectly provides what God requires in the law to bring full and final salvation. See, Jesus' parents are righteous. They're righteous poor. And this matters because our culture, we don't, we don't have categories like that. We have rich, we have wealthy, affluent, and we have poor folks. 
Um, we need more definition than that. Uh, I think you'll see throughout the Bible that you've got really probably four categories. You have righteous rich, you have righteous working poor, you have unrighteous rich, you have unrighteous poor, lazy, don't work, right? These things matter. Uh, and, and I can't get into all that because it's not really in the text, but I think it does matter to understand, am, am I righteous poor? I'm working hard. I got a couple of jobs. I'm saving up, but, but I can't. I, I just don't make it, right? Okay, then, then you should receive help. But man, if you're, if you're just lazy and you don't get out of bed and you don't work and you don't do the different things and you're poor, yeah, that's what happens. That's not what we're talking about when we look at Jesus' parents. These are righteous poor, right? God the Father chose to have Jesus raised in this poor family. Now, they're poor according to money and society in that time. But what you got to know, they're abundantly wealthy. They're abundantly wealthy. And I think this matters because why, why do I say they're abundantly wealthy? Because they're rich towards God. They're rich towards God. And it's seen in their obedience, Man, if you don't have a whole lot in the bank, but you have a whole lot of love for God in your heart, you didn't put that there. God put that there. You're wealthy. I don't care what the, the standard of the culture says, right? You could go work seven jobs and make a lot of bank. You could go work one job, and if it's really good, make a lot of bank and still just be spiritually poor. Well, I'll tell you what, that's brief no matter what. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, if you're just thinking in human standards, it won't last long regardless. You, this is just a blip on the radar of who you are and what eternity looks like. These folks are rich. And, and so even though they couldn't afford a lamb for the burnt offering, don't miss the point that God in his kindness trusted them in raising the lamb of God. Was it because they were amazing? No, but he did choose parents who would honor him, who would honor him, who would obey these things. Why? Because it absolutely matters. It matters. Jesus is perfect life matters. He must abide and obey all that is written in the law. He loves God perfectly. The son loves the father perfectly. He obeys the father perfectly. So pay attention to that as we go through the gospel of Luke, as you hopefully are going through the gospel of Luke, not just on Sunday, not just on missional community group night, but literally, you're opening the Word, you're reading the Word, you're coming to this service anticipating what will be said because you've looked at what was said, okay? I want you to know the Bible. Um, why? Well, because it will feed you, and you can then be rich towards God by His grace, too. So, notice this. God, listen, He gives what He requires in Christ for salvation, if that matters, Right? So let's continue. Look at Luke 2, 25 through 38. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the one that's promised, Okay. And, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, listen to what he says, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Gentiles just means those who are not Israel, the, 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 other, the rest of the world, those who are outside of God's people, okay? So, so we see salvations for, for all tribes. I mean, we just sung, let the nations be glad right? Let the peoples rejoice. Why? Because salvation belongs to God, and God loves to save every tongue, tribe, and people. There will be a day when Jesus returns. He rips open the sky. When he comes back, he sets up shop, and in that moment, every person, tongue, tribe will be represented there. Every nation, all peoples, all colors, all languages worshiping God. And this is, this is beautiful. Jews had, had really missed this as they got off along the way. But this is what always had been planned in Genesis 12. You will be a blessing to all people. Right? People means nations, languages, people groups. This matters. So pay attention as we read these different things. And why? For your glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what he said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, listen to what he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna. So we've got two people. We've got Simeon, now we got Anna, the daughter of, I don't even know how to say that, Fenilio, let's go with that, making that up, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Listen, notice how this woman, we're not going to talk much about her, but notice how she responded to suffering. This woman's been a widow for a long time. And what does it say about her? She sat and blamed God for all. No, wait. Oh, that's not what it says. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. See, when Mary and Joseph were in the temple, they met two other Israelites. Who did they meet? Well, they met Simeon and Anna. Um, they're both devout to God. Notice the language. Simeon in verse 25 is called righteous and devout. His lips and his life match who he is, who he says he is, right? He, he doesn't just go to church on Sunday, raise his hands, do a couple religious things, and then live like Satan from Monday till Saturday. No, this man, Monday through Sunday, and everything that's in between this man's life matches his devotion to God. Now, is he perfect? No, he's not perfect. Anna, what, what about this lady? Did not depart from the temple. Now, I'm sure she left, right? She had to go get a bite to eat, right? Worshiping and fasting. She didn't fast forever, right? Praying night and day. Why does, why does Luke point this out? Well, one, I think, be, notice that they're advanced in years. They're longing for this day. They're longing for the moment. They're both prophets, Right? They're both filled with expectancy that the time that was promised, a few people in Israel were longing for the day that it would come, and it came in their time. They never, give, they never gave up trusting or believing God's promises, His Word. Right? 
but they were waiting for God's act of salvation. What example they are for us. They really are. But I got to tell you something. Don't miss the point. You know what the point is? They're not the point. Not the point. Not the point. Oh, how many times I've been to church services and they'll just use these people as examples and they'll hold them up. So be like Simeon, be like Anna. That's what I think about that. That's what I think about that. Might be helpful, I guess. But the point is, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. This leads us to our second point. It's all about Jesus. Who is our salvation? You get so lost in all the little details that you can miss the point that's staring right at you. Listen again to what Simeon says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation. He's going to reveal your beautiful plan to all peoples, including the Gentiles. This is beautiful. Can you picture it? Baby Jesus secure in this man's arms. And, and Simeon secure in God's because God doesn't lie. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. This man's so overjoyed at the presence of God's salvation. He's ready to die in peace. Why? He says it. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Does he know everything that's going to happen? Not a chance. He really doesn't. But he sees that Jesus was and is God's plan of salvation for a sinful people. Notice he doesn't say, my eyes have seen part of your salvation. It doesn't say that. Why? Because Christ is totally sufficient in and of himself. Oh, and if you're going to trust the gospel, if you're going to believe the good news, you better believe that. We don't have a half a savior. We don't have a savior who does half the work and then leaves it up to us. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Wrong. He does it all. And he does it all perfectly. And we can trust him. See, notice, notice that we can, we can literally say that Jesus is salvation. God's salvation is not a what or an it. It's a who. It's a who. To see Jesus rightly matters. To see God's salvation. To see Christ is to see salvation. And when I say see, I mean as your heart. Right? You and I are not going to see him physically. There will be a day we'll see him physically. But, but not before he returns, right? But to see, to believe, to understand that he's the promised Messiah, that he's the one that has come to redeem sinful people. To see that, to believe that, that's a gift of grace. And if you're sitting here and you believe that, you really believe that. I'm not saying what you tell other people, but you believe that, a miracle happened in your heart. A miracle happened in your heart. God revealed himself to you. You did not do that. You were not born a Christian. You might have been born into a Christian family. Thank God. But you must be born again. And to be born again is to see. It's to see Jesus for who he says he is and to believe, to trust. And so God sends his son. This means that our experience of salvation is not primarily seen, listen to me, in change of our circumstances or a program of self-improvement. Oh gosh, how many people want to turn the gospel into what we do? 
What we do is a response to the good news. It is not itself the good news, right? It's a change in relationship. The gospel is a change. It's the good news of what God has done to, get, to, to make it possible for a change in relationship, right? We, we trust in a person. God did not send an impersonable force. He did not send a life coach to make it so that your day is better. He sent his son. He sent his son. Many times people want to make the gospel out everything but Jesus. You can go to church services and never hear the word Jesus. I mean, seriously. You hear vague talk about God and this and that. We want to make it about Christ. Not about what we do because of what he's done. That's why we always seek to magnify his great grace, not what we're doing. Okay, this matters, right? Get it. Christianity is not primarily about principles to live by, but a person to live for. That person's name is Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. You're like, well, what, what about politics? What about this? I don't care about any of that. We can talk about those things, but those things are peripheral. It's about Christ and Christ alone. Man, I'm so thankful for you, Hannah. I was thinking about, we don't sit down and say, hey, here's what the point of the sermon is. Here's what we're going to do. So make sure your songs align with that. I say, here's the text. Do some work. Pray. See what God leads you to do. And then sing songs accordingly to the text. And I'll tell you right now, all three sermons just continually put Christ in front of us. In front of us. But if she just does that every week, she's going to hit her home run. And here's why. Because all I'm trying to ever do on a Sunday morning is continually put Christ in front of you. Why? Because he's the point. Always. Always. Well, what about my seven steps to better living? Not here. Not here. Because if you get this right, if you get this right, oh, it affects everything. I promise you. But if you get this wrong, you can maybe have a good life here and spend eternity in hell. Jesus is the point. I mean, so many people get it screwy when it comes to Christianity. By the way, when I say that, I'm not picking on people. I got it screwy. We've got to get our heads screwed on right. We have to have our minds transformed. We, you're always being conformed into to different things. You're being shoved into different patterns that the world wants you to be. It's creating this little consumer and this little robot that always believes everything it reads on TikTok. I guess you don't read on TikTok. You hear on TikTok. Whatever. I'm not on TikTok. But you get the point. But it's shoving you into a mold so that we'll all just come out like everybody else. But, but the, we need to have our minds transformed, right, by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God. Okay, so when we come to the Word of God, he, it's showing us who Christ is, and that affects everything. You do what you believe. If you believe that this will make you happy, no matter what this is, you will do it, unless you think the consequences are not worth what you're wanting to do. When Christ opens your eyes to see and to believe, He gives you a gift of the Holy Spirit. You have a real person. You're never alone in that moment. You're, you're born again. You get a new heart. You get a new mind. But that new mind must be informed. It must be informed. So, so how do people get it wacky? Well, for instance, let me tell you one example. Uh, when I had the 
the privilege of going and helping a friend who's a missionary in Israel. It was not a trip where we were going to go get on the bus and hear about all the places Jesus walked. We did some of that, but that wasn't the point. And I had people say, did you feel closer to Jesus? No. Um, I had one lady said, man, I've been to Israel. I need to get back to Israel because that's the only place I feel close to Christ. I get what she's saying, but she's wrong. And I told her she was wrong, kindly, and she quit coming to our church. And that's okay. I do get what she's saying, but I want you to know something. To feel closer to Jesus when you go to the promised land is a misunderstanding of what God has done in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Right now, listen, right now, if you're in Christ, you're as close to Jesus as it gets because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Lives in you. You are now the temple. Right? We'll get to that as we go. So you can't get closer. Now, you can feel closer because your sin, it, it, man, it grieves the heart of the Father, and you feel very distant from Him when you're living in sin. That's why confession brings about, oh man, just restoring the relationship. Now, he didn't leave you. He didn't quit being your father. But what it does is it refreshes it. It's like, man, if you've ever hurt somebody and you go up to them with tears in your eyes and say, I'm so sorry, and they embrace you and they hug you, you may have still been friends in that moment, but now it's restored. It's restored. It was strained before, even though, man, we, we still loved one another, but it was strained. But that's what sin does. So, so listen, when you draw near to God, Christ has done everything so that you can. And you don't have to go and journey to, to the promised land to get closer to Jesus. If you want to do that, that's fine. But that's not how you get closer to Jesus. How you get closer to Jesus is trusting his word and knowing that his spirit's with you. That's real power. That's real power. So there's no, you're never alone. You may feel alone, but that's where your brain needs to think properly. Okay? Why? Because God's made it a way for that to happen. Look at John 1, 1 through 3 in verse 14. It says this. You can listen as, as I read, or you can turn there. I'll give you a moment. This is pretty heady stuff, but, but what I want you to see is Emmanuel, God with us. This is really our last sermon on Christmas. <laughs> We've taken like a, almost two months to work through Christmas, right? Which is good. I've heard people in our missional community group saying they really love being able to think about the incarnation of Christ, you know, God putting on flesh, living among us, baby Jesus, in a time when it's not Christmas and it's not hectic because they're able to actually think about it. But listen to what John says in John 1, 1 through 3 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, notice it's capitalized, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word, listen, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, we worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus is one person of the triune God. He has two natures, fully God, fully man. There was a point in time when Jesus, who is fully God, added on humanity. But notice, it says he dwelt among us. The word is tabernacled or tented. Jesus came camping with us, right? However you want to say that. But, but Jesus, he came to earth to live 
with broken, sinful people. And what was he full of? He was full of grace and he was full of truth. The beauty of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. It's all about Christ. Simeon surely knew this as he held this baby tightly. I don't know if he held him up like, you know, what is it, the Lion King? I don't know if he did that. I picture that he did that. But I bet you he looked deeply into Jesus' eyes, intently. And he looked again, and he looked again. And I, I just can't help but wonder, man, was this man's heart full? How did he know the Holy Spirit revealed? His heart was overflowing with joy. Why? Because the coming of the Redeemer, the fulfillment of all the promises, were he, it's here. He's here. He's here. I can die. I can die. I can go. Now, now to be fair, at this stage of Luke's gospel, we don't understand all the details of Jesus' work of salvation. We don't. It's pretty unclear, honestly, at this point, but we know so much more. But we do get a little glimpse of the plan. Look at 34 and 35 again in Luke chapter 2. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And now listen, so that's for all of Israel, okay? But this is for Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. See, for the first time in Luke's gospel, we get a glimpse of the suffering servant. Just a glimpse, just a little bit. We wouldn't even probably catch it if we weren't on the other side of the cross and resurrection, but we know the story, if you know the story, right? So, so here, this, this child will indeed redeem Israel, no doubt. But look how, through suffering, great pain, great cost, and it's coming. The future will indeed bring great things, but it will bring sorrow, and it will bring sorrow to his mother. And we, we will see this. They're going to flee to Egypt, right? Uh, her son will be misunderstood. He will be misunderstood by his own mother. You'll see that in the Gospel of Luke. He's misunderstood by his brothers, right? He's rejected. You, you'll, you'll hear about the terrible events of him being, you know, spit upon and crown of thorns and all these different things. Sorrow is coming. Why? Because it's the only way salvation comes. Jesus must go to the cross. Jesus was born for a mission. Primary mission. Mission number one is to make a way for sinful people to draw near to a holy God. The only way that happens is a perfect sacrifice. Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. He will go to a cross in order to be crushed so that you and I can go to God. And we get a glimpse here. We get a glimpse here. One writer said this, the Messiah, now present, will be a suffering Messiah. And his mother will partake in all of these sorrows. See, everywhere Jesus goes, there's great trouble. Because, why? Well, because Christ reveals hearts. He just does. The Word of God reveals hearts, right? Uh, he, it shows us who we really are. So many times. And see, apart from God's merciful intervention, you and I will all oppose Christ. Every one of you. No, I woke up and when the doctor spanked me after I was born, I said, Jesus, and he didn't. <laughs> he did not. You may not remember it. I don't remember that. I don't know what I said. I probably went, ah, quit spanking me, right? <laughs> but you, you didn't just start loving God. Something had to happen. A miracle had to happen. 
But before that moment, there was a moment where you would hear the truth of God's word and you would oppose it. You're like, I don't remember that. You don't have to remember it for it to be true. You don't have to remember it for it to be true. Right? We all oppose Jesus. Jesus divides. He divides. And he'll talk about that. He angers. Oh, I remember him angering me. I remember going to church for a year as an unsaved man and hearing all these things. And they would say these things, and I would just be like, oh, you don't know me. I was thinking the pastor's talking to me. Like he knew my life. He didn't even know my name. And I just remember thinking, ugh, I hate this. Can't wait till we're done so we can go to Perkins and get bad food, right? It's all we could afford. It's okay. But, but here's the deal. Jesus exposes us. When we see the word of God and understand it rightly, you're either with Christ and you're for him because you understand he's for you or you are against him. Make no mistake about it. That's why any Christianity that presents this thing where we can all just get along and skip around like hobbits in the Lord of the Ring is not biblical. It's just not biblical. Now listen, there are reasons that this world does not like Christians and many of those reasons are valid. Don't let that be true of our church. But there are going to come times where if you're doing real gospel ministry, people will not like you. And you've done nothing wrong. All you've done is love them, serve them, pray for them, care for them. Why? Because they hate Christ in you. And if you expect anything different than that, you will not follow Jesus Christ, I promise you. You won't. Because you can't. Oh, his message, man, he's, he's going to be loud. He's going to be clear. He's going to say, hey, you want to go with me? This is my version. That's why I don't write Bible translations. He's like, deny yourself. Pick up that cross. Follow me. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm going to die. You coming? I don't know, man. I thought Chuck E. Cheese sounded like a better idea, right? But they go. What's going to happen to you? Well, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to love people that hate you. Oh, and by the way, none of you know this yet. But all of you are going to die a martyr's death except one. So to be my disciples, this is what it means. Suffering. That's why I hate the prosperity gospel. I, I, I didn't even realize how much it's in people's head till I sat down with a young lady who I just adore this week and she's telling me all these things that her friends are saying to her. And she's like, is that true? I said, I don't know. Jesus died homeless. Why isn't, he, why isn't he rich if he's doing it all? You know, suffering. We see it. We see it right here. It's just a glimpse. But, oh, just in case you're like, I don't know if that's really in there. Stick around with Luke because God's just going to pull back the curtains. And he's going to say, you want to know how it's done? Here's how it's done. So you will either continue to fight Christ or you will fall before him in humiliation. And if you fall, then you will receive grace and life with him. You can't come into the kingdom with a big puffed up head. You can't. It's too narrow. You must get low. You must shrink. You must fall. And that's the only way. We come to new life with God as he aggressively brings us to the end of ourselves. That's where life happens. That's where life with God happens. Real quick story. I, uh, I was in a car wreck. Doesn't matter. Broke 18 bones. And in that breaking of my 18 bones... That's what saved my life and ultimately my soul because God, man, he had been, he had been 
just working to have me see the truth, and I kept pushing him away every time. And he got my attention in a big way with that one. But it would still be another year. Why? Because I was still proud. It's pretty weird to be proud while you're in your diety and your mom's changing it at 23. But it happened. But it happened. I was still proud. But I finally realized, oh, God, I need you. That's the first step. It's really the first step of receiving life with God is to realize great need. I need you. And so you will either fight and oppose Jesus passively or actively, or you will receive him. And I would say receiving him is always a better deal. Jesus always knocks us down in order to pick us up. Some people, though, they keep getting up like they think they're rocky and they fight to the end. You will lose, I promise you. There will be a day it'll be done. Now's your time to receive Christ. Continue to look, though. It's two more verses. And when they had performed, 39 and 40, Luke 2, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And listen, it said, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. See, Luke's not as explicit as John here, but we do see full of grace and full of truth. There is an ushering in. The, the time when, when the gospel of grace is here. And this is his moment. See, Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. This is a beautiful mystery, by the way, if you think about it. Jesus, the Son of God, subjected himself to his own creation, to his, to his own physical laws, its ups and its downs. I mean, think about it. He would experience the development of a human brain. He wasn't born with a a 27-year-old human brain that understood everything. He would have to understand human reasoning and language. He would be taught things he did not know in his humanity. He knows everything in his divine nature. He walked like a baby before he walked like a man. Just imagine Jesus just crawling around, right? Think about these things. He thought... And he talked like a baby before he ever talked like a man. He had to wrestle probably with ours. That was a tough one for me growing up. He experienced growing pains as a young man, as as a teen. He had to go through these things. This was very real for him. I think sometimes we don't think like that. He had to learn how to be a carpenter from his earthly dad. He had to learn how to hold a hammer. He had to learn how to swing it. He had to get blisters and they hurt. He had to learn how to get, well, he didn't learn to get calluses. He just got calluses, right? But this, do we think about Christ like this? I don't think we do often. See, Jesus lived with a human body, a human mind, and a soul with all its limitations except for sin. So when, when you're tired, when you're weak, when you're weary, well, you have a Savior who's been there, done that, and got the T-shirt, and you can come to him. You can come to him. And he knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to have a sore back. Although he's in better shape than all of us, I'm sure. Harold Best says this. The only difference was that Jesus did his learning, growing, and maturing sinlessly and perfectly. But that does not mean he was an instant learner. I think a lot of times we think Jesus just was born and he just, he taught his dad how to do carpentry. That's not the case. You had to learn. Third point. There's so much more I want to say about that. Luke's going to give us tons of opportunities. 
Third point, Jesus' humanity means that he is fallen humanity's representative. See, because of the horrors of sin, death came through Adam and Eve's rebellion. And the, the only one remedy to this tragic decision to rebel against a perfect God must be a human himself, the seed of the woman. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. So essentially, you don't have to get this, but if you do get it, cool. Jesus is Adam 2.0. He's Adam 2.0. Where Adam failed, Jesus will not fail. And you're going to see that all throughout this gospel. He is the last Adam. He is the true human from whom fallen humanity can be reconciled to God. He's the Lamb of God. He lives the perfect life that you and I cannot live cannot live. He does it perfectly in our place. Now back to Galatians 4, 4 through 5, and I'm going to read the last part of that text that I I left off earlier, okay? Listen to this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's where I left off. Comma. So that. Here's why. Anytime you see that, that phrase, so that. Here's why. Why? So that we might receive adoptions as sons. Sons here means sons and daughters. The reason it doesn't say sons and daughters is because to inherit everything in that culture, you had to be a son. So, so it's not, so many people get this all whacked out of in their head in our culture. They're saying, well, they're not giving enough reps to the ladies. Actually, this elevates women because what it's saying, it doesn't matter whether you're a male or whether you're a female, you are in Christ. You therefore inherit everything. It brings value to women in a culture at that time had no value towards women. God always has. Why? Because men and women, male and female, are made in God's image. Therefore, you have intrinsic value for no other reason than God stamped you with his absolute name on it. Oh, how our culture gets it all out of whack. You do not get your value from what you do. You get your value from whose you are. And that's good news to everyone because that's true for all humans. All humans are valuable. There's not, you've never met a human that's not valuable. You may not see them as valuable. God does. Therefore, we seek to love all humans. He's the last Adam. We see it there. Listen, uh, so many of us, don't miss that, so that we might receive adoption, right? So many of us are endlessly striving for perfection, So many of us are endlessly striving for God's approval. So many of us are endlessly striving for other people's approval. Don't don't fall asleep on this. We're, We're always striving for approval. We're seeking for joy. We're seeking for freedom. And it always seems to just... It's like like Ecclesiastes, right? It's like vapor. You got it. I thought I had it. I saw it. It's gone. And it happens to all of us. And you want to know, as I think about this text, why that is, as I think about Jesus' perfect life, sometimes we miss all these big thoughts of theology and how they come into our lives. So don't miss it. Here's how it comes into our life. How does Jesus' perfect life matter to our messy lives, our sinful lives, our broken lives, our shattered lives? Because he came that we might have perfection given to us as a gift. 
so that we might what? Become his children, be adopted into the family. You may not have a mom or a dad that are alive right now, but you have a father in heaven who's done everything to bring you in. You may have a mom and dad that are alive and they're not very kind to you. You have a father who's perfectly kind to you. You have a family in the church that, that's not perfect, but hopefully will seek to love you well. Okay, but how does that matter to me now? Let me tell you, when we seek after the approval of God, people, joy, happiness, apart from God, what we're doing is we're living like orphans. You got to get this. You got to get this. I have a friend who worked in an orphanage for years, and he used to talk about all the different things that orphans do, and they don't even realize they're doing it, even after they've been adopted, okay? Uh, I wrote some of them down. Orphans, have, they feel like they have to take care of themselves. It's always fight or flight, right? Um, they, they have to be strong because they can't count on you. They must protect themselves because if not, you might take advantage of them. They can't depend on anyone else. They can't be weak. They, they, they crave to be taken into a family and love, but, but they doubt that they ever will. And even when they are, they doubt how long you'll actually stay, right? Uh, orphans want to be accepted. They want to belong. Orphans trust only themselves if they get down to it. Orphans cannot get too close. You might hurt them. Orphans are on the outside looking in. And, and listen to me, what I'm telling you. Many of you are adopted into the family of God and you live like that. And you, you live like that. I know because I, I did for so long. Still do sometimes. Still do. I still have that mentality at times when it comes to God. This is where we need to have our minds transformed. See, God's not like that. Christmas is the beauty of that. It really is. See, whether you call it the incarnation, the divine invasion, whatever you want to call it, Jesus coming, being born is about bringing you into the family. It's about him first and foremost. Absolutely. It's always about Jesus. But it was about swinging the gates of heaven open so that sinners like us, broken people, could come into a family and receive the love of God. That's what it's always been about. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus was born into a broken family. He lived a perfect life. He willingly went to a cross in order to be broken, in order to adopt broken, sinful people into his family forever. And he's paid it in full. He's paid it in full. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Yes and no. Because we're always a mixture of belief and unbelief as Christians, wherever you don't believe, where you still have that orphan mentality, God would like me if, God would love me more if, God would, however you want to say that, you better fight. You better fight to open the scriptures, lay your heart before him, and ask him to help you in your unbelief. Why? Because I'm telling you right now, if you get that figured out, if you get that it. God in his kindness loves you because Jesus in his perfection is standing in your place. Then you'll stop striving for other people to clap and say you're pretty impressive because you'll just be embarrassed that you did it. And what you'll realize is that the God of the universe sees you. And because of Christ's perfect life, he loves you, he adores you, he approves of you, 
And, and it's that love and that understanding of love that will transform your behavior. Quit trying to behave so God will love you. Christ has done everything to make that possible. And when we get that, when you understand that, you'll stop doing to get something. You'll start receiving because it's been done. And that's when you'll start being free. It's when you start being free. And that's the beauty of the gospel in so many ways. So many ways. Christ lived your perfect life. So when you trust him, you get his perfect righteousness. When you trust him, you get absolute and complete forgiveness. What has he not done? So, oh man, hold him, baby Jesus. I don't know how he did it, right? He looks in his eyes and he says, this is, uh, this is your salvation. Look to Christ. Quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at what you do, what you don't do. Look to Jesus and trust he's done it all. It's finished. Receive that gift at Christmas and every other day. That's the beauty of the gospel, and you receive it by faith. Oh, church, man, what a good God we have. He's done it all. He's, he's just done it all. If you, when you leave here today, man, just think about what he's done to make a way for you to draw near to him. And let that be the meditation of your heart and your mind this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for adopting broken, sinful people into your family. Father, we thank you that we could never imagine a plan this glorious, this beautiful, and we didn't have to imagine it. And no one else imagined it either. It's truth. And Father, I know there are people here that are still wrestling with what they believe about the good news of the gospel. Do they believe it? Do they not? Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation, that you would open their heart, you'd open their mind, that you would show them their sin, Standing in front of a holy God, unable to draw near because they're unwilling to bend their knee and confess that Christ is their Savior and is their Lord, but that today you would soften their heart. You would loosen their tongue. You would bend their knee and they would open their heart and they'd open their hands and they'd receive the love of God displayed in Christ. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.